Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. What's up, y'all? I'm down to chat. I'm down with some trivia and facts. So welcome back to Backlit Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe. That's spelled Z-O if you're in the U.S. Or Z-O if you're outside of the U.S. It's the 106th episode. Thank you for downloading and streaming. We really appreciate it. We watch movies that I love when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I watched these movies with my son, Zach. And if you like what you're about to hear, then please tell your family, tell your friends, tell all of your neighbors, tell your Target secret shopper about our humble little show, Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Now, me and Zach usually watch movies together. We didn't watch this particular movie together. It was a movie that uh, I wanted to rewatch. And it's outside of a normal format as it came out in 2005. But I really wanted to watch this movie again with all the buzz of the upcoming sequel. But before I talk about that, let me talk about a movie that me and Zach did watch together. And that movie was Cocaine Bear. Uh, and the short analysis is that Zach truly loved that movie. I thought it was pretty good. It got a little bit slow in some parts, but for the most part, it was funny and I had a great time. Uh, the The characters in that movie were fantastic and it was like over the top in some places, uh, the over the top comedy that I, I really appreciated. And um, there were some there were some gross scenes. There was some hit, which would you would expect from a movie called Cocaine Bear. So uh, if you get a chance, go check it out. Go check it out. It's a, it's a nice little movie. I think you'll have a good time. So the movie that uh, we're going to talk about today, what, what this episode is about, we're going to check that out in the opening credits. So welcome to the opening credits and the movie that we're going to talk about today is Constantine. So about Constantine, Los Angeles police officer Angela Dotson has a dream that her twin sister committed suicide. In the following hours, she finds that her dream was in fact real. Angela is convinced that her sister would never kill herself. And as she seeks evidence to prove her theories, she gets some Unexpected help from a stranger she bumped into. He's a stranger who's skilled at dealing with the occult. He's a stranger who discovers that Angela and her sister are connected to a terrifying supernatural event. The stranger's name is John Constantine. Released February 18, 2005, produced by Warner Brothers, Village Roadshow Pictures, and DC Comics, it grossed over $75 million in the U.S. and Canada and $230 million worldwide on a $100 million budget, and it had mixed reviews. So I think this movie is a cult classic now, although it was poorly received in the United States. It was much more popular overseas. It more than doubled its its money back uh, in the, for the overseas audiences, uh, but it didn't do as well on the home turf. And I can't really explain why it did so poorly. I think it should have did better than that. But it was very much, a, 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 it had very interesting visuals. It was a, a and it had a, a good story, had great visuals. It had pretty good, um, pretty good dialogue. So, yeah, it, it was, it was a movie that I really liked 
to watch, but I can understand the problems that some people had with it. So let's dive into who helped to make this movie. This movie was starring Keanu Reeves as John Constantine. And we know about a lot of the movies that Keanu Reeves is in and uh, the, the wonderful impact that he has had on cinema. He has been in some of the most iconic movies to ever be made. So I want to talk about some of the movies that are that are in pre-production or post-production. So uh, there's one movie in pre-production called John Wick Chapter Five. <laughs> uh, we we kind of we kind of knew that was coming. Uh, and right now, this in production is Constantine Two. It has been a little bit of back and forth of whether Constantine Two was going to go forward or whether it had been canceled. But from the sources that I was able to gather, it seems that it's still a go, that it's still in production. It's, it's still, they, they're still intending to release this movie. And it's listed in IMDb as being in production. Uh, a movie that's in post-production, a movie that he just completed, is John Wick Chapter 4. So he's, uh, he's deeply into the sequels of some of his most popular franchises. It's amazing that that Keanu Reeves can appear in some of the most iconic movies that have ever been made, like life-changing movies. He's made some incredibly smart choices throughout his career, everything from Point Break to Speed to The Matrix. It's just incredible how how he's able to choose these fantastic movies. So up next is Rachel Weisz. She's been in, oh, she's she plays. She plays Angela Dotson and Isabel Dotson, and she's been in The Constant Gardener, The Mummy, and The Fountain. Up next is Jaiman Hunso. He plays Papa Midnight. He's been in Blood Diamond, Amistad, and Gladiator. Shia LaBeouf plays Chaz Kramer. He's been in Transformers. Fury and the Peanut Butter Falcon. Max Baker plays Beeman. He's been in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Hail Caesar, and many TV shows. Pruitt Taylor. Pruitt Taylor Vince plays Father Hennessy. He's been in Identity. JFK, and Mississippi Burning. Gavin Rosendale plays Balthazar. He's been in Little Black Rock and The Game of Their Lives. He hasn't been in a whole lot of movies. He is primarily a musician, and he's done soundtracks for several movies. Tilda Swanton played Gabriel. She's been in Snowpiercer, the movie from 2013, Michael Clayton, and recently, 3,000 Years of Longing. Peter Stormare plays Satan, which is appropriate. He is often playing somebody incredibly creepy. He's also played a creepy person in Fargo. You can see him in The Brothers Grimm and Armageddon. So this movie was directed by Francis Lawrence. He's also directed... The Hunger Game movies, I Am Legend, and Red Sparrow. 
written by Jamie Delano, Garth Enos, and Kevin Broadbin. So Delano and Delano and Enos, they're responsible for the Hellblazer. That's the comic upon which this movie is based. And we're going to talk about more about them in the trivia, or at least their situation is being credited as written by. <laughs> and um, But the, the story for this movie was written by Broadbent. And he's also written The Siege of, De- the Siege of Jattleville. I think that's how you say that. And a movie called Mind Hunters from 2004 and The Glimmer Man. So not not a whole lot of prestigious movies that I can find on his profile. The music is by Carl Bedelt and Brian Tyler. So Bedelt has written music for Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and The Time Machine in 2002. Tyler has written for Scream, Charlie's Angels, Rambo, Last Blood, and TMNT. And for those who are uninitiated, that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is the Michael Bay twist on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lore. So that's it for the opening credits. And if you're enjoying the show, remember that you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlickcinema.com slash shops. And up next, we're going to talk about our favorite parts. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about our favorite parts of the movie, Constantine. So, one of the things I really like about this movie was Keanu Reeves' performance. He has this quiet confidence about his character, and he has a little bit of an attitude, but it's like he's uh, abrasive, and you don't usually see that from uh, from the characters that he plays. So... It it was nice to see that it people uh, talk about his acting, but I think that his acting is more subtle. So the subtle changes that you see in his performances is, I think, what really makes the characters that he uh, that he plays stick out. You know, John Constantine, as he plays John Constantine, really fits the character quite well. I know that he's way different in the comics, but there is an explanation for that. And we we can talk about that later. But I really like the way Reeves plays it. So there's uh, the first exorcism that I really like. So they're the first exorcism uh, scene in the movie. And this is where uh, there's a, a demon inside of a little girl. The, a priest has called Constantine because the priest is unable to exorcise the demon. And you can tell what they're, when the when the priest greets Reeves or Constantine as Constantine comes into the apartment um, or the apartment building, you know, you could tell there's a, a little bit of conflict between Constantine and I guess the church in general, because, because uh, the priest is like, what well, he has the attitude, like, don't be mad at me. See, I did call you. I tried to exercise it myself and I couldn't exercise a demon. So that's why I called you. And uh <laughs> And um, Constantine is kind of standoffish about the whole situation, or at least about the priest calling him. 
to complete the exorcism. So it's a little girl. She's doing the typical possessed person thing. She's crawling on the wall. She's screaming in a guttural voice and, and whatnot. So uh, Reeves is able to wrestle her down. He, he, I, it looks like at first he tries to perform a basic exorcism and it doesn't really work. So uh, they, they have to tie her to a bed and then um, he, he requests a mirror. So he gets a mirror to ha- have hoisted over her, her, her image, her over the bed, that the mirrors are over the bed facing them. So, uh, and Reeves is basically straddling her, trying to exercise the demon. You can see the demon inside her body, like it is like pushing up against her skin. It's a very, very interesting visual. Uh, like it's trying to burst out of her body. And then uh, Reeves performs some more rituals and chants, and he moves out the way, and the demon um, basically ends up inside the mirror. Like it's both inside her and inside the mirror. Like you can clearly see the demon in the mirror. And then they try to, and then they get the mirror. It's a, it's a huge mirror. Now how somebody would have such a huge mirror in their house, it's, or that Reeves would, or Constantine would know that somebody had such a mirror. It's, you know, it, there's no really real explanation for that. Cause he says, I need a mirror that's at least, three feet high, right? And somebody had one in the apartment building. So they rush out and they get the mirror. They hoist the mirror up over the girl and Reeves that's over the bed. And they have to hold these up by ropes. And he tells it, and he tells everyone, whatever you do, don't look, right? So they're supposed to hold this mirror over the bed, but they're not supposed to look at what uh, Constantine is doing. But of course, one of the, one of them looks and all of a sudden his hair turns white and he starts scratching and he he ends up letting go of the mirror and ends up in the corner. So now Constantine has to hold up the mirror and perform the exorcism. So, uh, so all this is going on. And as I said, the demon ends up in the mirror and then they have to hoist the mirror out of the, of the room while the demon is, because now the demon is trying to break out of the mirror. They have to hoist the, the mirror out of the room and out of the building. So they're trying to uh, basically pull the mirror out of the building um, through the window, but the the mirror is too big. It's it's like it's it's a little bit too wide, and so uh, they're gonna basically break the frame of the window to to get the mirror through through the window. So Constantine is pulling on the ropes to get it outside of the building as hard as he can. Now, all the while I'm thinking they, they could just tilt the mirror because it's only wider by like a half an inch. So they, they could have just tilted the mirror and push it out. But for whatever reason, they didn't, they didn't tilt it. It's not like they couldn't touch the mirror because Reeves himself, or I'm sorry, Constantine himself was touching the mirror. So I don't, I don't understand why they just couldn't tilt the mirror a little bit and just kind of throw it out the window, but they didn't. And maybe because it was super heavy, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't want to, relitigate their actions (laughs) but Reeves is able to pull the mirror hard enough on the ropes to break the frame of the window and get the mirror out of the apartment the apartment is several stories high so the mirror falls to all the way several stories to land on the hood on the top of this cab that's parked there and the, the mirror bursts into fragments and the demon is 
presumably either vanquished or sent back to hell. I'm not exactly sure, but it's it's out of the little girl and it's no longer able to harm anybody else. That that's the impression that we get. The first exorcism scene basically sets the tone for the movie, had great visual effects that are they still hold up. The visual effects in this movie still hold up. And it was I liked the way the magic works or is performed in this movie. So in the current movies, the the magic is more like fantastical. It's like it's very obvious that the magic is going around. You get a lot of light and a lot of uh razzmatazz when in today's movies when magic is depicted. But in this movie, they chose to be real subtle about it. So in this movie, he's like Constantine himself, he's basically the only one that's really doing magic. He's doing a bunch of really mundane things, it would seem, uh, to begin his magic rituals. And then something fantastic happens, but usually it's something where the environment moves or the environment changes, but nothing so flashy as, say, the way they use magic in, in the Marvel movies, like nothing like Doctor Strange and his his magic lights that appear when he's moving his hands or Wanda, when she waves her hands, you, you got a bunch of red magic all around. No, nothing so flashy and fantastic as that. Just very subtle suggestions of magic. And then the mundane things that Constantine himself does in order to evoke th- those, these magical things. So they've, they've got a bunch of demons and agent and angels. I'm, uh, I'm truly trying to talk, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> They've got a bunch of demons and angels that basically are disguised as humans. You can only tell them apart, really, from the way they are, their eyes kind of flash and, or, or shine. So, uh, And every once in a while, you'll see the angel's wings or some flesh appeal away from the demon. And you can see the demon flesh underneath the angel flesh. But it's not so like uh fantastical because of the rules that are set forth that the angels and the demons have to abide by. I was also I also forgot that uh Rachel Dawes and Shia LaBeouf were in the movie. It's like quite a surprise when I when I saw them. It's like, oh she's like she's in uh the first part of the movie and it's like, oh yeah. And then you see Shia LaBeouf is basically he's uh he's kind of a cab driver that chauffeurs Constantine around. He's a chauffeur for Constantine because he wants to be Constantine's apprentice. He wants to be able to do the things that Constantine does. He wants to uh he wants the same job as Constantine. So he he has put himself under Constantine's wings. So Shia LaBeouf is playing a character named Chaz Kramer and, and Kramer is basically a a younger guy just just trying to get into the supernatural game. So another part I like was the meeting with Gabriel. And uh, Gabriel is an angel that's basically Constantine is trying to bargain with Gabriel to try to get into heaven. So Constantine is sick. He has lung cancer because he smokes all the time. <laughs> And uh, he doesn't want to die young. And he, he's he been told that he's going to go to hell because he, when he was younger, he had these visions. And 
because of these visions, he nobody believed the, that he could see the supernatural world, and they tried to commit him. And um, these attempts to commit him and these people not believing him led him to try to take his own life. And he was dead for two minutes, and he went to hell. But then he was brought back by the paramedics or the miracles of modern medicine. And so he glimpsed the other side. So he's been told that because he committed suicide, he can never get into heaven. And he's been trying to do his acts of exorcism and fighting demons and sending uh, the violators of the, the rules away from earth. He's been doing these acts to try to get into heaven. And Gabriel is basically telling him it doesn't work that way. You, you can't get into the heaven. You, you can just continue to do what you're doing, but you're never going to get into heaven. So, <laughs> but uh, the way Gabriel is, oh, Gabriel is predict is the way Gabriel is depicted by Tilda Swanson is, is pretty cool. So, like when he first sees Gabriel, you know, he, he can see her wings come out and then they go back and then, you know, she's basically assuming, assuming a fully human shape. So for most of the time, you don't see like the wings of the angel. They only pop out at certain points when I guess the director wants you to know that those were demons or those were angels. But I like the that was one of the subtle things that they did in the movie that I really liked. I guess overall, I really liked the style of the movie. The The style of the movie was very impressive to me, and I, I'm still pleased by it to this day. Constantine can't buy his way into heaven, so he has to go along his merry way. So one of the things that I really liked about this movie were basically all of the combat scenes, all of the fights that we see in this movie. So one of these fights was where he fights this bug man. So normally the when the demons try to attack him, they attack him through human beings. It's when they assume a human shape and they attack him. But he had to fight this bug demon. So he was a bug demon out in the open. So he was basically a demon that was consisted of a bunch of bugs. It was a, it was a bunch of bugs that had formed a human shape, like, with arms and legs and a kind of a face, but it was all bugs like beetles and, and, and gnats and spiders or whatever, just composed of bugs. And so he's slamming his bug fist into Constantine's uh, dragging and punching Constantine around with bug fists and bug hands. <laughs> and Constantine has uh, an array of, of weapons. He's kind of like, a supernatural Batman. So one of the things that he has, it's a matchbox with screaming beetles inside. So when he shakes the matchbox, the beetles scream and it scares away the bugs. The guy that gave it to him is called B-Man and B-Man told him that it's like nails on a chalkboard to demons. So as he's, he's fighting uh, this demon, he's able to get in a demon in the position where they're in the street and the demon gets hit by a bus and so but they're just bugs so <laughs> he killed majority of the bugs and it kind of dispersed the demons and then after the bus goes by you know he starts to step on the remaining bugs like <laughs> not because he needs to more like he's because he's insulted that the bugs would attack him in the first place another thing that i like is that he goes uh 
into this supernatural club. So you get into the club by, you when you approach the guard, the guard holds up a card and you're supposed to guess what the card is depicting. So it's like uh, one of those psychological tests, like in Ghostbusters, like a doctor holds up a card and you're supposed to tell the doctor what the card is. And the card is using this to determine whether or not you're psychic. So because, and so if you're a supernatural person, when the guard holds up the card, you should be able to say what's on the other side of the card because you're a, you're a psychic. And if you're a psychic, then you can get into the club. So when the guard holds up the card, Constantine immediately tells the guard what the, what the card is or what it's depicting. And he gets in the club and Chaz wanting to be like Constantine because Constantine told him, uh, cause Chaz wants to get into the club and Constantine told him, well, like it, well, if you can get in, you can get in. And so the guard holds up the card for Chaz. Chaz has a guess. He guesses wrong because he's not a psychic. He has no powers and the guard won't let him in. So that that's it. That was a cool way of gatekeeping. That's the best way of gatekeeping in a supernatural club that I, I've pretty much ever seen. So Constantine's in the club. There's a bunch of angels and demons, and he goes to the back where he meets Papa Midnight. And Papa Midnight is played by Jaiman Hanso. So uh, this was a cool performance by him. I really, I really like their meeting together. And the whole point of Constantine visiting Papa Midnight is to use his mystical chair. Papa Midnight is supposed to be neutral. Like he doesn't help the angels or the demons. He doesn't help heaven or hell. That's why both the angels and demons are in his club. It's kind of a refuge or neutral territory where supernatural beings can go and not fight because fighting isn't allowed. And apparently he has enough power to stop various supernatural entities from fighting in his territory. There are various ways that Constantine is trying to help Angela Dotson solve uh, the so-called suicide of Angela's sister. So to find out, he um, he says, well, the only find, way to find out if your sister committed suicide is to go to hell. So Constantine does his ritual so that he can go to hell and find out if Isabel, which is Angela's sister, if Isabel is down in hell. So like I said, there's, they they do some mundane things in order to activate his magic. So what he does is that he gets her to get a a, a giant pot, like a, a roasting pot, like a roasting pot that you would roast a turkey in and fill that with water. And he sets it on the ground and he sits in a chair and he puts his feet in the water. And and that's that's how he starts his magic. And I just like the the weird mundaneness of it i've said that word a bunch hasn't i <laughs> anyway so he sits in a chair he does his chant and next thing you know he's in hell oh he has to look at the cat so <laughs> he said he needed something of isabel and isabel has a cat so he grabs a cat and he looks into the cat's eye and and he gets into hell so in here in this movie hell hell is depicted as like uh a wasted land. It's like, it's all red and everything is falling apart. And uh, there are demons in the distance. It's not, you know, kind of what you would picture hell is like. 
And, uh, you know, among the crumbling buildings and infrastructure, he finds Isabel. So apparently Isabel really did commit suicide. One thing about the way this particular magic ritual worked is that he has to tell Angela to get out of the apartment. So she gets out. She she starts to leave the apartment. And as soon as she closes the door... That's when Constantine goes to hell. And then she kind of opens the door and she opens it right back up again. And he's already back. So for him, it was several minutes that had passed. But for her, it was barely a second because she she like closed the door. And I guess she hears something from the room. So she opens the door right away and she sees Constantine. But now he's smoking. Like, I think the water has boiled out. He himself is smoking because he had presumably just got back from hell coming near the end of the movie what i really like is the the fight that he had with gabrielle gabriel i keep calling her gabrielle but her name is gabriel so the fight that he had with the with the angel gabriel at the end of the movie so he knows as i said there's a supernatural thing going on so there's a the, the gist of the story is that the there's a demon who is, or the son of Satan. So there's the son of Satan wants to basically take over hell, I guess. So, but he wants to come to earth or take over the earth or something of that nature. He, he wants to be set free. And so he's using the sphere of destiny that that's not clearly explained. The, The sphere of destiny is seen throughout the movie but uh, and it seems to have a place in the movie. It's it's like a, it's like it's seeking out a particular person, and in particular it's seeking out Angela, the the police detective. But and and uh, it's being uh, I guess the spear the spear of destiny is being guided by demons to find Angela to help. Um the son of Satan to be born into the world and I guess unleash hell on earth. I think that's the gist of the whole storyline. So eventually Angela is uh, captured by, uh, by a demon. And when she's captured, she is uh, basically made to be a vessel by which the son of Satan could be born from. So first she's possessed and uh, Constantine has to fight the possession. And in the midst of this fight, uh, he realizes that there's like a greater actor involved. Like somebody is concealed and he has to force that person or that entity to come forth so he can confront who who is behind the shenanigans of it all. So he performs this ritual, which involves a tattoo in his forearms. And in this ritual, he commands the entity to come forth. Like whoever is hidden needs to come forth. And who should come forth but Gabriel? Gabriel is apparently the the entity that is behind all the shenanigans who has started putting everything in motion. And um Gabriel is basically jealous of humanity and she's jealous because 
humans can do wrong and just ask for forgiveness and nobody else in the universe can do this. And she's mad that they're so imperfect, but yet they get to experience heaven. And she reasons that the best of of humanity comes out of strife and difficulty. So she conspires with the agents of hell to unleash the son of Satan on earth so he can turn earth into like a hellscape or hell on earth and give everybody difficulty and strife. And the people who survive this difficulty, she would deem worthy of getting into heaven. She's like, these people have survived hell on earth. So these are the people who are actually worthy of getting into heaven. Like she really wants to put mankind through the ringer not with permission of God or anybody. This is just through her own initiative. So she is, uh, so Constantine is fighting with Gabriel and like it's a physical fight. He's really no match for the angel. And eventually uh, she basically beats him. So Constantine has one last trick up his sleeves. He cuts his wrist to commit suicide yet again. And then as he lays there dying, he's in a different room than Gabriel now. Gabriel is basically making sure that the the son of Satan can be born and Constantine in is in an in, is in another room dying. So he's his uh he cut his wrists, his his blood is draining, and then Satan comes forth because Satan wants to collect Constantine's soul for himself. Like he's the only soul that Satan would personally come to collect. He's not gonna send a random demon to collect John Constantine. Satan wants him for himself. Now it's not really explained why Satan has this particular proclivities, but that is the deal. So um, when Satan shows up, Constantine starts to negotiate with Satan. He's saying like, you know, your, uh, your son is in the other room uh, about to be born. And Satan's like, so? And it's like, well, he's with Gabriel. And he's like, so? But I forgot what it was, but he says something to Satan that causes him to stir. I think that it was that, you know, that Gabriel would take his place or something like that. And it basically was something that Satan didn't like. So he goes, Satan goes in another room. There's a marvelous effect happens uh, with Satan going from Constantine to Gabriel. And he gets to Gabriel and challenges Gabriel on what she is doing. And Gabriel says that, you know, she would smite Satan herself. So she goes to hit Satan and then uh, she's pulled away and uh, tormented by uh, a heavenly force. And I think it was Constantine that said, well, it looks like uh, somebody doesn't like, like your plans or what you're doing. And her wings are burnt away and she's uh, forced into a pool. So after so basically Constantine kind of saves the day. And um so Satan goes to Constantine to ask him, you know, what what does 
what does he want? You know, does he want a does he want an extension of his life? What what does Constantine want? And Constantine asks that Satan releases Isabel from hell to allow her to go to heaven. So Satan agrees to this. And now after agreeing to this, he decides to drag Constantine to hell. And he's so giddy about it. So he grabs him by the arm and he starts dragging him to, uh, I guess, the, the other room so he could drag Constantine to hell. And then uh, it gets harder and harder for him to pull Constantine. And the floor like buckles under. Well, it doesn't buckle, but it it starts to bulge because he's pulling Constantine. It's like Constantine weighs a trillion pounds and, and he's and he's bulging the earth. And he, uh Satan, it gets to the point where Satan can't drag Constantine and he's prevented. And next thing you know, Constantine is being pulled upward into the sky. <laughs> and uh, and what has happened is that because Constantine had sacrificed himself and that he asked Isabel to be released from hell rather than ask for a life extension from Satan, because of that sacrifice, he is granted entry into heaven because he wasn't doing he did he wasn't doing something for himself. He was doing something for somebody else. He was committing a selfless act, which is the thing that he needed to do to get into heaven. And as Satan was being infuriated that his prize was being taken from him by the heavenly host, Constantine kind of looks back and lifts the middle finger to Satan. So that was a glorious part. So Satan uh, decides that he he's not going to let Constantine go that easily. So he forces his hands into Constantine's body and pulls out the cancer and heals all of John's wounds. So now John Constantine is healed and he's alive. So he doesn't, he doesn't go to heaven <laughs> by way of sacrifice. John gets what he really wanted, a life extension. Either way, he was he had a favorable outcome. Either he was going to go to heaven or he was going to have an extension of his life. So he got the life extension because Satan could not stand the fact that he might get into heaven. That's basically the movie. So Isabel's is is in heaven. So Angela got what she wanted and Constantine got what he wanted. So everybody's pretty well, except for Chaz. Chaz Kramer had gotten killed in the fight with Gabrielle. And that was kind of a, it was kind of a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, it was kind of an abrupt ending because after he died, they, they don't go back and revisit him. They don't ruminate on his death or anything. He's just kind of dead. And then that's kind of the last we see of him. Everyone else seemed to be able to go on with their lives. Constantine, is chewing gum now instead of smoking a cigarette. So he's trying to do the best he can with his extension. And and now we might get a Constantine to, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what that would be like. So that's it. Talking about our favorite parts. Let's see now what we have for the trivia. And we're back. We have the trivia from Constantine. 
So here we go. The character of John Constantine was originally created by Alan Moore during his run on DC Comics' Swamp Thing. However, following his negative experience with From Hell in 2001 and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in 2003, Moore decided to reject all money and credit from Hollywood on any adaptations of his work. Thus, he gave all the money he would have gotten to the artist who drew the character with him and rejected his own created by credit from the film. So Jamie Delano and Garth Ennis, they did write on the, Hell, on the Hellblazer comic, but they didn't create the character of John Constantine. And uh, that's because Alan Moore was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with this crap. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And has since not even looked at any anything, any media that was ever based on his work. So up next, the look of hell was based on old footage of nuclear tests, specifically the sudden shockwave immediately after the blast that disintegrated anything in its path, hence the crumbling landscape. It, it was a good depiction. It was impressive. The Spear of Destiny prop is the same one as used in Hellboy from 2004. According to the director's commentary on the DVD, Constantine's brass knuckles were made from gold that was blessed by a bishop during the Crusades. The holy hand grenades were actually Christmas ornaments filled with water. The lighter Constantine uses during the movie was created as a real lighter by Zippo Lighter Company, depicting St. Benedict around the case. Keanu Reeves brought the Holy Shotgun prop and gave it to director Francis Lawrence as a gift. That's, that's a pretty good gesture. According to the director's commentary on the DVD, the rag that Constantine lights on fire to defeat the flying demons is a piece of Moses' shroud given to him by B-Man. B-Man's explanation of the cloth when he presented it to Constantine was cut from the film. Yeah, so there is a, a demon fight where he lights a cloth on fire and then he waves it around and the cloth, the blazing cloth is, well, the light from the blazing cloth is so fierce that it destroys an entire horde of demons that have broken to the earthly realm. And yeah, they didn't explain the cloth. And without the explanation, it just looks like he took an ordinary cloth and performed magic on it and not that the cloth itself was magical. Or you might think the cloth was magical, but not know the significance of why it was magical. B-Man explains some of the props that he gives to Constantine, but he he mostly, most of the stuff he uses that, you know, he just uses the stuff and you don't, you don't get the significance of it. But it's not that important for you to know what these items do. Interestingly, I feel like Constantine is kind of like a supernatural Batman and where Batman uses a lot of tech gadget, Constantine uses a lot of supernatural gadgets. And so it's not just him performing rituals. He has a bunch of gadgets in his, on his body, on his person that he uses to fight demons and angels sometimes. According to director's commentary, 
Constantine's line in which he says he doesn't want Angela to be another ghost following him around is reference to the comics, where he is haunted by the ghosts of friends who have died because of him. The original title, Hellblazer, was changed because it was too similar to Hellboy. The films were scheduled to be released within a short space of time between them, and it was decided that having such similar titles would hurt the sales of, of tickets. Therefore, Hellblazer was changed to Constantine. It, it was pretty smart. It was a pretty smart thing to do. It was forward thinking. I don't think people would have gotten confused. But it, it was, I think it was forward thinking. According to the According to an interview with the AV Club, published on 28th August of 2017, Peter Stormeyer came up with his own costume design for the appearance of Lucifer. The off-white linen suit with tar dripping down from his feet are specifically mentioned. The producer and director had initially wanted leather trousers, bare-chested, a dog collar with spikes, and tattoos over Stormeyer's face and chest. I feel like uh, that was Stormeyer's version of Satan was uh, very, it was like a kind of unexpected because it it, it seemed to have the veneer of respect, respectabilism. Uh, that's not a word. It had a veneer of respect about him, but it was like, it was a very well-kept suit, but there was tar at his feet, at his bare feet, I think. And so it's like somebody almost pretending to be a respectable character, but really isn't. Uh, I really like that depiction. And it's not like he didn't have tattoos. There were some, but from the suit he wore, you can see that most of it was covered up. But it's just his performance that came out <laughs> that were really showed exactly how uh, creepy he was. He's just very good at playing creepy characters. Up next. The Nazi flag used to wrap the Spear of Destiny was destroyed after shooting to prevent it be from falling into the hands of neo-Nazis. <laughs> I guess they were like, well, we don't need this lying around. Uh, they used a lot of Nazi flags when they made the Indiana Jones series. So I wonder if they did tremulous treatments or treatment of the Nazi paraphernalia, or did they just put it in a room somewhere? That did two on... Constantine's arms is an alchemical symbol of the Red King, which is worn by him for protection. It is the fire triangle with three radiating arrows below represents the perfect Red King or sulfur of the philosophers. Aside from John Constantine, the only characters to survive the transition from comic to film are Ellie a demoness mostly cut from the original theatrical release, Papa Midnight, Chas Kramer, and Gabriel. All the other characters were invented for the film. In the comic book Hellblazer, on which the film is based, the character of John Constantine is from Liverpool, England, and is drawn to look like the singer Sting. In the film, the character is from Los Angeles, California, USA. It is widely believed that the change was made specifically for Keanu Reeves. The truth is, the original script retained his nationality, but got no response from producers. So the writers changed him to an American, and the script quickly gained attention. So uh, this is uh, 
this is a product of nativism in in which the writers couldn't get anybody to pay attention to their script because the main character was not American. <laughs> so, but now we know nowadays, now, now we have confirmation that we can have a Constantine that is from Liverpool, England. And I think uh, if they do any further um, shows about Constantine, maybe it'll be from, you know, the Liverpool uh, England character that he was originally meant to me, but not not Constantine too. Constantine too is going to be Keanu Reeves, and probably in a some kind of Elseworld DC Universe project. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what shakes up. Because of a better understanding of the role of mental illness and depression, the Roman Catholic Church dropped the ban on burials for these for those who committed suicide in the 1980s. There would be no objection to burying Angela's sister. It is not considered an unforgivable sin, nor does it mean the person has necessarily lost their eternal salvation. Yeah, this was a huge plot point in the movie, which came out in 2005. So, but the the, the film kind of has its own mythology about it. But yeah, that that was a huge thing because there's a scene where Angela goes to a church and she's begging her priest, who was also a friend of hers, to give Angela or her sister Isabel her last rites. But the priest refuses, saying that, you know, she committed suicide. So, you know, we can't do anything. We can't perform the burial. We can't do any rituals to help her get into heaven. And uh, that's why she wanted to prove that her sister did not commit suicide. So up next, at the beginning of the scene where Constantine exercises the demon from the young girl, there is a close-up of Constantine placing his cigarette on the side of a table. However, the director did not have a lens that could focus that tightly, so they created a fake cigarette the size of a cigar and shot it from a greater distance, creating the illusion of a normal cigarette. Oh, that's that's awesome. I, I like the problem-solving they were able to do in this movie. And finally, in the lower right-hand corner of Isabel's toe tag, there is a number 616. While some people interpret the mark of the beast to be 666, others interpret it to be 616, hence its appearance on the toe tag. In the book of Revelation, the number of the beast is, quote, 603 score and 6, end quote, or 666. Another thing... um, that should be noted is that a lot of people, when they see 666, they say, okay, that's the mark of the beast. I have to avoid this, or this is a bad omen or something or some such. But if you read Revelations, it's actually the numbers that add up to 616. So you're not looking for, well, I mean, 666. So you're not looking for the number 666. You're looking for the numbers that add up to 666. So you're looking for an equation not the number 666 itself. Go read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. I'm just just sitting here in a room that needs to be cleaned badly and uh, probably talking out of my butthole. But yeah, just don't take, like LeVar Burton says, you don't have to take my word for it. Anyway, that's it for 
talking about the trivia. And up next, we're going to talk about what the critics thought. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about what the critics thought. And it received a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, 72% from the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. And IMD review. Hmm, I'm sorry. I, I was doing good. I was doing so good. And now, and then I started talking and it, and it came out wrong. IMB, I am, see, I'm still messing up. IMDB reviews gave it a seven out of 10. Got it. Got it. Hey, third time's a charm. Drew Dietz from Giant Freaking Robot wrote, Constantine deserves a cult following and should be remembered for all the things it did right instead of its perceived wrongs. And, you know, I, I kind of agree with that. that I like that. Uh, I like that uh, understanding. Brian Lawry from Variety wrote, Blaze a few new trails and bogs down in a confusing narrative muddle. Uh, I will admit that it, it can be a little a little muddling. Like uh, <laughs> there's the whole Spear of Destiny thing. It kind of muddles things for the movie. I think they, I don't think they needed that or they should have better explained it. That it could have been the the script could have been tightened up a little bit. Steve Bryodrowski from East Batter wrote This film combines elements of comic book fantasy with horror to create an enjoyable brew, sort of a film noir version of The Exorcist crossbred with the stylization of The Matrix. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of get that feeling too. Finally, Kurt Loder from MTV. You remember Kurt Loder from MTV, don't you? He wrote, A little too muddled and erratically paced to command much interest. While some of the effects are cleverly worked out, the picture seems more often to be on CGI autopilot. I kind of disagree with it being CGI autopilot. Uh, To me, at least from today's standards, the CGI is is a little bit subtle it is because there's not much of it like compared to today's standards there's not a whole lot of cgi that's like obvious or it's like it's so obvious like you're like you're thinking to yourself well that's obviously cgi like it's it's not so much cgi that it, it threatens to take you out of the narrative so i don't think that it's on a cgi autopilot but some of the other stuff he said i, I can see how people would feel that way so finally constantine is as of this recording available on hbo max that's it for today next week we have a very special guest she's the host of the great film podcast verbal diorama and her name is m the movie that we chat about will be airplane i I said it like that because you know there's an explanation point after the title so you got to be excited when you talk about that movie Follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or on Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast. And if you're on Mastodon at Backlick Cinema at MSTDN.party. Don't forget that you can contact us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. One last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow by spreading the word about Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Believe me, it matters. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family, hug your loved ones, and if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.